Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Bless the Lord God. If you will, open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5, page 992 in your pew Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 5, page 992 in your pew Bibles. Widows. For one reason or another, the church at Ephesus needed help loving, caring for, and blessing their widows. Perhaps Pastor Timothy wrote a letter to the Apostle Paul asking him how they can better serve their widows. But as we'll see, the attention to detail in these instructions say something very uh, important about God. He has a special place in his heart for widows. Even in the Old Testament, we see that God is a protector of widows. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 to 18, it says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. He executes justice for the fatherless and for the widow. Then in Psalms, chapter 68, verses 4 to 6, it says, Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the desert. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. And I love that. I love that, right? After suffering the pain of losing a, a husband, when the widow finds herself starting to get back on her feet, starting to breathe again, and feeling settled by herself in a home, that's God doing that. He settles the widow in solitary. He settles her in her home that she's able to go forward. She's able to uh, try to be herself once more. It's not all over for her. That's God lifting her up with his gentle hand. Jesus, God the Son, shows the same compassion in the New Testament. If you remember, he brought an only son back to, to life for the widow of Nain in Luke chapter 7. In those days, having a son to provide and protect was vital to a widow's existence. Jesus then makes a big deal over the persistence of the praying widow in Luke chapter 18. And then he says, this is an example for you, the believers, to be persistent in your prayer uh, towards God. He also pointed out the generosity of the poor widow who gave all she had at the temple in Mark chapter 12. Right after rebuking the scribes who walked around in long flowing uh, robes, he rebuked them because he said they would devour widows' households. And then finally on the cross, he made provision for his own mother in her widowhood when he told the disciple, John, behold thy mother. And then he told his mother, Mary, behold thy son. Yes, she had other sons, but at that time, they were not saved according to Mark chapter uh, 4. So he made sure that she was in the care of a, a, of a believer. And John chapter 19, verse 27 says, from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. 
Christian widows are God's precious daughters who have been left seemingly all alone on this earth. But God wants them to know, though it seems you're alone, you are not alone. And God the Son said, I am with you even until the end of the age. And from the reading of several texts of the New Testament, we see Christ's body, the church, is here for that. Last week, Peter uh, preached on the text just before this, which spoke of false teachers training ourselves for godliness and keeping a close watch on ourselves and our teaching or our doctrine. In our text today, Paul gives instructions concerning how the church, not just elders, but the church are to serve the older men, the younger men, the older women, the younger women, and widows. When I read the passage, you quickly notice that Paul spends the bulk of his time addressing widows. He breaks them up into three different categories. Widows who are truly widows, widows who are self-indulgent widows, and widows who are over 60. My three points for this sermon are point number one, 60 and over. My three points for this sermon are point number one, serving the flock accordingly. Point number two, serving widows within the flock accordingly. And point number three, serving mature widows within the flock accordingly. Follow me along as I read 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. This is the holy word of God. It says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows, widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also uh, gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman, woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let us go before our Father in prayer. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you that you have brought this subject before us, Lord God. We do not want to uh, neglect uh, the widows among us. We thank you that you have shown us how in this word. 
uh, I pray that you would work in me, Lord God, that I would be um, accurate and clear. And I pray that your spirit would work in the people who hear this, Lord God, to convict, to guide, uh, to give wisdom on how they individually can uh, do this along with the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Point number one, serving the flock accordingly. Verse one says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers. Some translations like the NASB adds the word sharply, right? Uh, it says, do not sharply rebuke an older man, which fills out the intensity of the original language. Uh, li literally, the word used here signifies to smite or strike, meaning do not strike the elderly, not speaking with the hands, but with the tongue, using severe words which are like heavy blows. On the contrary, an older sinning believer is to be shown respect. Older believing saints, who we believe are living in um, unrepentant sin, are to be confronted, yes, and not just by uh, the elders, but by any spiritually mature member of the church, as long as it's done with honor for their age. And they're humbly encouraged to turn from any and all ungodliness. <clears throat> Showing honor and respect for uh, the older brother acknowledges God's blessing of long life and the wisdom that comes from that. We're also to treat younger men as brothers. In his letter to Titus, Paul gets more specific in how we should do this. In Titus chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, he says, Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things showing yourself show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine dignified sound in speech which is beyond reproach so that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us we as older men are to be examples to the younger men in Christ we can tell them uh, to, 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 to walk in godliness and holiness with good sense, but if we're walking in ungodliness and unholiness in a senseless way, then our words are mere words. We are not setting the example as the scripture tells us to do. Then in verse 2, Paul moves on to women. He writes that we are to treat the older women as mothers. No son in his right mind would rebuke his mother with severity. A while back, I was having a conversation with a young man. And this young man said that at times, when his mother made him angry, he would curse at her. And I asked him if he felt any remorse, either then or even now as an older man. And he said, no. I believe all children, all kids curse at their parents. And I said, if I ever cursed at my mother, I wouldn't be here right now. I, I, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. It would have been better for me to get into the ring with Mike Tyson than to curse at my mother. And that's just from my mother's side. When my father heard about it, the earth would have shaken. And wherever you were on earth, you would have known something happened. You wouldn't have known what, but you would have known something happened. Because cursing at your parents is something you just don't do. 
not just because of the punishment that would come from them, but because it is a sin against God. It, it is a heinous sin against God to be repented of. We all ought to honor, love, and respect our mothers. But the elders of God's church must have that same mindset, not only towards his own mother, but also towards older women. In the church, too many older, godly women have been either overused and burnt out or overlooked and ignored. In both cases, they miss out on the Christ-like love, the Christ-like care that should be coming their way. All because the elders failed to show them how he would treat his own mother. Then there's the younger women. Verse 2 goes on to teach that elders should treat the younger women as sisters in all purity. This verse needs a whole sermon by itself. So many women have had to leave their church because of inappropriate advances from those who are called to shepherd and protect them from the wolves. But unfortunately, so many of them have had to find themselves or found themselves in the wolves' den. Those pastors have an appointment with God that's not going to be pleasant. And I believe they're included in the statement that Jesus made in Luke chapter 17 and verse 2 when he said, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. In order to remove all temptation concerning younger women, the verse says, see them as you see your little sister. Be that big brother who protects them and says, nobody better mess with my sister. Nobody better even think about approaching her the wrong way. That's how the older men, especially the elders, are to see the younger women. The Apostle Paul then turns his attention to widows, which brings us to point number three. Serving widows within the flock accordingly. In verses 3 through 16, the Apostle Paul spends much ink explaining how widows who belong to the household of God and have lost the support of their husbands and family members are to be cared for by the people of God. Once again, this is nothing new. Almost immediately after the Israelites leave the protection of Egypt, yes, they were serving as slaves, but they went from 70 to 2 million because of the power of Egypt in God's providence and sovereignty. He kept them from being overrun, overrun when they were little. But when it was time to leave, God worked powerfully to get them out of there. But as he's giving them the law, uh, case law, moral law, uh, ceremonial law, one of the things he says in Exodus chapter 2, verses 22 to 24, is you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives will be widows and your sons will be fatherless. God's continual compassion for widows and children who have lost their fathers is intrinsic to his nature as a father of the fatherless and protector of widows. It's just who he is. So in our text concerning widows in verse 3, he commands us to honor them. Honor them. And to honor is to show respect, to care for them, 
to treat them graciously, even financial, even financial support. Not that all widows need financial support, but in Paul's day, most of them did. So how was the church to discern which widows needed financial support and which ones didn't? Paul says there are widows, and then there are those who are truly widows. These are women who are left without any resources whatsoever. They have nothing to provide for their daily needs. When this was written, there was no help coming from the government. But there may have been some relatives who were in a position to provide some help. So in verse 4, Paul writes, If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to, show some, uh, to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. If the children are able, they are the first ones in line who are to provide support, the support their parents needed. And when 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 tells us that we are to make it our aim to please God, you can best believe caring for your parents pleases God. Paul says, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. That is, let the children and grandchildren learn to respond to their family's needs the way God responds to his, towards his family's needs, his children's needs. The way God responds to us, we take it for granted. We just receive it and we keep going. But God says, no, I want you to stop. I want you to reflect on what I'm doing for you. And I want you to turn around and do it for those among you who can't help themselves, who are in need. Be like me towards them. Even though those who are truly widows are left without any resources in and of themselves, they are still called to set their hope on God. Meaning they are to live in a continual state of trusting God. That's why the church is called to care for them as an extension of God's right hand when no one else will. We see this played out in Acts chapter 6, when the Hellenistic Jewish widows, meaning those who assimilated with the Greek culture, were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Those previously in charge of uh, handing out the food may have believed the Jewish widows from Palestine were more deserving because they didn't uh, assimilate with the culture. That's only speculation. Whatever the case, when the, uh, the widows told the elders, the, one who, the ones who were being neglected, once they made their needs known, the elders installed deacons from among the congregation. Seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wise. They attended to the needs of these women who were truly widows. There are so many Christian congregations that have widows sitting there uh, across the globe who are silent in their suffering. And week to week they're going without, letting, not letting um, anyone know. And perhaps some are right here in our midst. If so, if that is you, my prayer is that you would give us, the church, the blessing of allowing us to bless you. The church is here for you. If there's no family to provide, the church is here to provide because the church isn't like family. The church is family. When this life is over, we will still be brothers and sisters in the presence of God, our Father, worshiping and loving and doing whatever he would have us to do together forever. 
we truly are God's ideal picture of a family. He has put us together and made us just that. The very thing we desire from our, from our earthly family, God has created eternally through us, through the person sitting on your right or your left. Getting back to our text, in verse 6, Paul now addresses the self-indulgent widows. He says that she is dead even while she lives. What does that mean? Paul is describing a widow who's proving by her lifestyle that she's still dead in her sins. She's still unregenerated. She is unsaved. She's only concerned with her fleshly desires. But we learn from Romans chapter 8 and verse 13 that if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what is the church to do in that situation? The implication is she should not be included with the other widows, but of course, each case needs to be handled individually. These instructions that Paul wrote to Timothy are not suggestions, but they are commands. As verse 7 says, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. Command these things so that, number one, the widows who have set their hope on God will continue in their supplications and prayers to God, giving no one any reason to criticize. And number two, command these things in order to convict those widows who are living fleshly and self-indulgent lives uh, so that they may turn to the living God and live a life without reproach. Now the scripture begins to shift back to dealing with the relatives of widows. In verse chapter 8, Paul says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Ouch! Worse than an unbeliever? Worse than someone who does not have the spirit of God? Worse than someone who is not even trying to please God? Yes, the believer is worse if they're not doing these things that even unbelievers will do because most of them, not all, but most will take care of those in their families who are in need. But we, brothers and sisters, have been given the spirit of God. If we don't, we deny the faith. If we don't worship a God in a way where it's seen by those among us who are weak. If we don't bless God by blessing the widows among us, we are worse than an unbeliever and we deny the faith. We deny the principle of compassionate Christian love taught throughout the Bible. When we were born again, we were given the spirit of God. We were given a new heart that seeks to emulate the love of God. As Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What an impact we can make towards the unbelievers in our household and beyond because they talk. They talk. And when we do wrong, they are quick to say, the church is full of hypocrites. My own family won't even take care of me. We have to be discerning in this area. 
because we know that they can do foolish things. But it doesn't mean we totally shut everything off. We have to, to come to God and ask him, help me, Lord God, to determine who and strategize how I am to be that administrator or steward of what you have given me. Help me, Lord God, not to just say I'm done with them, but to help me to show how Christ would show his love and uh, in, in wisdom, in words, to lead them to you. That is always the point. That is always the issue. How can I show Christ that they may be saved? That is, that's the bottom line. How can I show Christ that they may be saved? How can I use the scriptures in this? When I have someone who is doing wrong, but their wrongdoing is causing them a life of poverty, how can I use the word of God? How can I pray correctly for them and then bless them in a way that they'll see, I'm not just getting over on this person because I'm giving them a sob story, but they're doing it because they love Christ and they're gonna hold me accountable for this. We are called to be stewards, managers, administrators of what we have from God. We determine and strategize how we're going to bless others, especially when it comes to providing the basic needs, the basic needs of those within our own households. Moving on to point number three, serving mature widows within the flock accordingly. Verse nine says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. Here it appears that Paul is referring to a group of widows who were set apart from the other widows. These widow, widows were able to provide some means of hospitality and care for the afflicted. However, I want you to notice that the tasks that they're doing at 60 uh, are not tasks that were just put on them. Like you've reached 60, we want you to do these things. No, these are things that they were already doing and they were noted for doing. These are good works that, that, that by the age of 60, uh, and we're taking that age because in that culture, that was the retirement age. And so the scripture uses that for its benefit and says, okay, at this age, most likely she's done raising children. So she would have more time and energy. I don't know about the energy part because kids will wear you out, but she will have more time anyway to give to God to serve God with this time. It's not like time to sit back and just watch everybody and you do this and give advice and instructions to everybody else. No, she has gained a life of wisdom. She has gained uh, some, some status in the church because she has been serving. It's not like all of a sudden, I'm here, you can use me. No, but this is what I've been doing and now I'm fully available. I'm, I'm, I'm here for God's glory. Use me. Concerning the time they were married, if they were married, Paul addresses that. And he says they would have had to have been the wife of one husband. According to the rest of verse 9. Uh, this literally means uh, or reads one man, woman. It does not exclude women who have been married more than once. The same way the phrase husband of one wife does not mean a man who's been married more than once is excluded from being an elder, but it refers to a woman who was totally devoted and faithful to her husband while she was married. Paul goes on to say in verse 10 that she should have a reputation for good works if she has brought up children. 
has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Her reputation of good works would have been widely known. If she had children, she would have nourished them uh, with the word, right? Whether through memorization, like, 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 what does John 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. Through uh, Christian catechisms, right? Uh, 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 what is the, the, the chief uh, goal or aim of man? The chief aim of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Great, great, great. That's what she is to do. She is to raise them. She's raising them to follow the Lord. Washing feet. Washing feet was the menial duty of slaves. It is used literally and figuratively. Literally, to wash the feet of visitors was an act of kindness that was central to hospitality. It's the first thing that they see. They come in off of the dirty road. They come into your place, right? And that's the first thing, to get a, to, a, a pitcher of water. Say, sit here, sit here, let me take care of you. That takes a, a special heart, a heart of humility, Someone who says, no, I'm not up here, but I'm, I'm, I'm right here with you, right? So I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you the first thing you need as you're coming in off of the, the hot, dry, dusty road. Figuratively, the term points to a heart that is ready and willing to care for the afflicted. A heart that is, that is so open to care for those who can't help themselves. In Acts chapter 9, we read about a woman whose name in Aramaic was Tabitha, but they called her by her Greek name, Dorcas. Both names mean gazelle. According to Acts chapter 9, verse 36, she was full of good works and acts of charity. But then she became ill and died. So they washed her up and laid her in an upper room and sent two men to the apostle Peter and urged him to please come. Please come without delay. In Acts uh, chapter 9, verses 39 to 42, it says, So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand, and he raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. For some reason, <clears throat> in this passage, Luke keeps mentioning the widows apart from the saints, even though they are a part of the congregation. They showed how much Dorcas meant to them. She was remembered for her good works, specifically making tunics and garments for whoever may have been in need. Bringing her back to life was not for her sake. For the Christian, being with Jesus in heaven is much more preferable than being here on earth. But it seems God brought her back for the sake of others. Number one, for the many who heard about it and were saved. And number two, for the widows who were in need. She was making clothes for them. When Peter came, they were like, look at this. Look at, look, look at what she made for me. 
showing that God cares for the widow so much, even through the most quote-unquote insignificant per person like a Dorcas, caring for his beloved children, his beloved daughters. In verses 11 and 12 of 1 Timothy, Paul gives another reason why uh, those who are to be enrolled in this group are not to be younger than 60. He says, but refuse to enro enroll younger widows. Why? For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. This directive no means, by no means shuts out younger widows from serving in the church in other ways, but it wisely excluded the younger women from any responsibilities where a lifelong commitment was required. The phrase, having abandoned their former faith at the end of verse 12, is used in the sense of someone making a pledge or a vow-like commitment and then going back on it. Presumably, women who entered this order of widows made a covenantal commitment before God to remain unmarried for the rest of their life. They were promising to dedicate themselves to Christ as if they were truly married to him. However, if the widow was younger, in their first days of grief and desolation after losing their husband, they may vow, I'm never getting married again. I will never marry no one else. I, I am done. It hurt too much. I'll never love no one like I loved him. But as time passes on, they may abandon their pledge and commitment to this ministry and passionately desire to marry again. Thus, Paul says they abandoned their former faith, their previous pledge, to this ministry. So in context, you see it has nothing to do with a believer losing their salvation, if any of you were worried about that. We always read everything in context. We don't take it apart from what the author's, author's original intent to the hearers are. Then in verse 13, he adds, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. Of course, not every divorced woman under 60 is being spoken of. But he's warning Timothy to not allow the younger women into this particular ministry because of idleness slash laziness. It may enter in and produce a gossiper. And we all know how destructive gossiping is. Yet, for so many of us, it's so addictive, right? We may know coming into the faith that we just can't stop talking, especially about someone who is doing us wrong. In our neighborhoods, on the jobs, we may even vow, God, I will never do this again. And then five minutes later, somebody comes by and they talk about that person. And here you go. Yeah, she's right and you're in it before you know it and the heart is deceptive more than we realize it I don't know my own heart you don't know your own heart but we worship God and what we do is we learn words of encouragement and words to build people up and so that we put off one thing and we put on another we put off slander and gossip and replace it with words that build up 
That's how we do it. If we just leave it void and say, I'm not going to do this anymore, over time, it's just what we've been doing for so long. It's so easy to do it. And here comes the bait. Somebody's coming and saying, what do you think about her? What do you think about him? You know what the boss did to me? Well, you know what he did to me? It's just so easy. But if we learn to shift the conversation, you know, I imagine being in his position, and I can't even imagine what it's really like to be in his position, because he has so many people to watch over. So I pray for him. What? You just change their whole mojo. You just stop everything they wanted to do, because you're different. So we, you should sound different. The words coming out of your mouth should not be to tear down and talk about this person who is working in, 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 in frailty, who's working from the flesh who's working from limited knowledge. You should not sound like that person who can't wait to tear someone down because you know what happens when you're not around. Who, who are they talking about then? That's right, they're talking about you, right? And so Proverbs 16 verse 28 warns us when it says a whisperer separates close friends. So what's the solution for these young widows? Paul doesn't just say that and leave them. What's the solution? Speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 14, Paul said one solution is for the younger widows to marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Don't give him a foothold. Don't give him an inch. Don't allow him into your uh, conversations. Don't allow him to influence your relationships. Don't do it. This uh, scripture is even more proof that all scripture, um, or prophecy of scripture, uh, comes from no one's private interpretation. No one's private interpretation because, you know, Paul's desire, um, he said, uh, to remain single as I am. But here he says, younger widows should marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. The Holy Spirit's desire is for the purity of the church and the purity of the individual, the single young widow. So he says, get married again. Have some kids, even through adoption. Why? Because you know God loves the fatherless. He loves the orphans. So even by adoption, have you some kids. If you have been blessed in your youth with health and strength and the, the, the ability to do that, then do it. It will keep you out of trouble. But what does Paul mean when he goes on to say, give the adversary no occasion for slander? Well, on the surface, the adversary refers to unbelievers in your circle. They're not, by their, they're not there by accident. They are there that you may plant seed and water that you may represent Christ wherever he has you in whatever part of the world you may be in, right? Why? Because the adversary in the physical form is watching. He or she, they're watching. So that as soon as you drop the ball, as soon as you say something inappropriate, as soon as you leave work early and take some, steal some time, as soon as you begin gossiping about other people, they're like, that's why I don't go to church. He or she, they're worse than me. The church is full of hypocrites. They may see you and hear from one other person, and they surmise that the church is full 
of hypocrites, ignoring the godly people who serve God week after week after week. Why? Because the flesh is wicked. The flesh doesn't want God. The adversary in the spiritual realm is the chief adversary, Satan. And we know he walks around seeking whom he may devour. He's walking around. He's not omniscient. And we don't blame him for everything. And he's not omnipresent. And he's not om- he, 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 doesn't have, he doesn't have it all. We give him too much credit, but we also don't pay enough attention to how he works. We're ignorant, some of us, of his devices. And we skip through life like everything is just great and, and, and gravy. And then when a tragedy happens or somebody does you wrong, you're shocked. God says, no. Watch out for your adversary. He walks around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. And according to the next verse, some of these very women, verse 15, were already straying after Satan. Already. Not only does the wicked one use slander like the Diablos devil he is, but he also comes with many temptations and snares. As Paul is about to end this section concerning the shepherding of widows, in verse 16, he just about restates what he had previously said in verses 4 and 5. In verse 16, he says, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. I checked with a few credible authors to find an answer as to why believing women are singled out here. When they would have already uh, been uh, included previously in verse 4, which says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. So we see Christian women are already included, but it seems that Paul reinforces this command specifically towards women because number one, most of the time it's going to fall on them to care for the older widows within their homes or even an extended family member. And number two, they themselves may one day end up being that older widow. There was the chance that they also could lose their husbands, never remarry, and end up needing support. So it's it's as if scripture is saying, give yourself to this, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. From this portion of scripture, we learn a few things. First, we learn that the first line of support that God uses to provide for poor believing widows is their family especially believing family members. All of us must accept responsibility over our family, over those who are suffering. The church is the second line of defense. Christian relief is never intended to render someone useless, right? So secondly, we learn that widows before the age of 60 and after, if they're healthy and vibrant, should have the opportunity both to receive according to their need and to serve according to their ability. We don't make 
cripples. We don't make lazy people. What we do is we bless, we guide, we feed, we clothe if needed, if there's nobody else, so that that person may get on their feet in order to help somebody else who needs to get on their feet, in order to help somebody else who needs to hear the word, in order to call someone up and say, can I pray with you? If somebody is so hungry Sunday after Sunday, it doesn't matter what you're saying up here. They're still going back home to an empty refrigerator, to empty cupboards, right? There's nothing tangible, right? They want to hear, they, they hear the word. They want to hold on to the word, but it is so hard. It is so hard because we have this trick we have to make day to day, right? And, and, and godly women, they will fight for their holiness in Christ, but when they look at people who will not extend an arm, it is so hard to relate what they see and hear with how they're living. We need to be that extension of God. We need to show Christ in action. And finally, this text brings forth the purpose and value of church membership. These widows were more than just acquaintances with the people in this congregation. They played an integral role part of the day-to-day care of its members, even to the point of being enrolled by name at the age of 60, pledging to provide a vital service to others. As believers make a commitment to the local church to use their time, their treasures, and their talents to bless others, the church makes a commitment to the believer to help, to lift them up, to guide them through the word of God, to pray for them, to fellowship, to just hang out and speak things that they're not hearing on the job or in their neighborhood, to speak about God and his goodness, to share testimonies of what God is doing, to listen to testimonies and remind people where they were and where they are where they are right now and where they will be 10,000 years from now. Get your eyes off of what's right in front of you and see God. Worship God. That's where you're going to spend eternity. Think about what God has done. Think about the new mind he has given you, the new heart. The person who used to lie speaks the truth. The person who was lazy and didn't work. The thief who took from others gets the jobs that he may give to others. Think about what God has done and rejoice in the Lord. Always, and again, I say, rejoice. In the city of Kiev, Russia, and I'm going to end with this, in the early 1990s, after the collapse of communism, most of its citizens citizens were left in poverty. The streets were filled with beggars. Poor women approached strangers and cried loudly for a few kopecks in order to buy some bread. One evangelical congregation took care of its widows by hosting babushka banquets. Babushka banquets at which they served large portions of beef, mashed potatoes, vegetables, fruit salad, and bread. That is what it looks like to be an extension of God's benevolent hand. And I'm happy for what that church did for its widows. But Pastor Matt the deacons, and myself are concerned with the widows here. If the widows of this church are not being properly cared for, then we're failing. 
I pray if that is you, let us know. I pray if you need help, let us know. If there are no other means of support, we want to care for you properly. As the Apostle James says in James chapter 1 and verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before the Father God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Once again, you are lovely, Lord God. You are oh so lovely, and you have helped your church. You have provided us with so much increase. We want to be faithful stewards, Lord. We want to care for those who no longer can care for themselves. We want to help lift them up that they can go back out into the harvest and, 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 and reap what you have uh, uh, placed there, Lord God, what you have given. Those who need the gospel, that they may turn and bless you with their lives. We want to be instrumental in that. We want to make sure that uh, no one among us is lacking. Please help us, Lord. Let us be discerning in our conversations. Let us go below the surface to, to, to see how our brothers and sisters are doing. Please guide us in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.